As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Coming up on DTNS, why the PS5 is outperforming the Xbox Series X, drone tech makes an underwater scooter possible, and how to find the mysterious Utah monolith using Google Earth. This is the Daily Tech News for Wednesday, November 25th, 2020 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. In Salt Lake City, way north of the monolith, I'm Scott Johnson. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chang. We were talking a little bit about that monolith uh, just now, as well as the mysterious smoker on Sarah's property. If you want to unravel both mysteries... Uh, go get that wider show. Good day, Internet. Patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. The U.S. FCC rejected ZTE's petition to remove its designation as a national security threat. This means that the FCC's Universal Service Fund can't be used to buy equipment and services from ZTE. That fund is used to subsidize building telecommunications infrastructure in underserved areas. Companies are allowed to spend their own money to buy ZTE equipment, however. Analyst Ming-Chi Kuo predicts better-than-expected demand for the iPhone 12 Pro models, offsetting some weaker-than-expected demand for the 12 and 12 mini. Kuo also sees evidence that Apple will redesign the form factors. They'll look different for the Apple Watch and MacBooks in the second half of 2021. Kuo also estimates AirPod sales will fall 5 to 10% in the next six months and that the next version of the AirPods will be delayed a little until the April-June quarter. You know, I've had a lot of people say that they like the mini. I guess they're still in the minority. Square announced that it's buying Credit Karma's tax unit for $50 million in cash. Credit Karma Tax provides a free do-it-yourself tax filing service and will be incorporated into Square's cash app unit. This follows the Justice Department requiring that Intuit to sell Credit Karma's tax business in order to clear Intuit's purchase of Credit Karma for $7.1 billion. Google is planning a fiber optic connection called Blue Raman from India to Europe that would directly connect Saudi Arabia and Israel for the first time. 
Oman Telecommunications and Telecom Italia are reportedly helping to finance the route. Google still needs approval from the Saudi government, among other regulatory sign-offs. But... It's more likely than ever because the U.S. has brokered some historic recognition of Israel by UAE, Bahrain, and Sudan. And Israel's prime minister apparently met with the Saudi crown prince Sunday, at least according to two Saudi government advisors. The Wall Street Journal sources say that Salesforce has been in recent talks to buy Slack Technologies. Slack is currently valued at $17 billion, and this could represent Salesforce's largest acquisition ever. Still in talks. All right, let's talk a little more about why you're always picking up your cell phone, Scott. Some some scientists did right. some studies. That's good, because I've been wondering what the heck I'm doing. A study of smartphone use by the London School of Economics and Political Science found that 89% of phone interactions were unprompted, while the remaining 11% were because of notifications. So some people just picking up their phone to look at it. 37%, sorry, 37 participants in the study in the UK, Germany, and France wore cameras to record their phone interactions. Users spent less time on their phone when they were home with other people and the most time when in uh, public transport, trains, that sort of stuff. The study indicates more research is needed about why people interact with their phones and how. Yeah, That's the co- fascinating. The, com- the common sense is that uh, it's all those notifications. You get you get barraged with your notifications. Yeah. Just turn off your notifications and it'll reduce your screen time. Apparently not. Yeah, this to me, this this entire thing mimics my... COVID lockdown time, uh, my, t- my time from March until now has been marked with these moments of me going, why am I looking at my phone again? What am I doing here? I don't need to be in here and not because of some notification. I still get those, but it's usually maybe you on Slack or it's, you know, somebody out my mom trying to get a hold of me or something like that. And I'll respond to those. But most of the time it's just me going, the world's weird. I'm kind of tired. And I think TikTok will take my mind off of it. And it's a lot of those interactions Way more than before March for me. So more study is needed, obviously. But I'm really curious about how this how this all pans out if they talk to more people around the world. I'm a minimal notification person. In fact, there are lots of apps that will send me a notification every once in a while. Where I'm like, what? How did I not turn that off in settings already? Like, and I go in, and no, you don't need to. You don't need to ping me about this sort of thing. I'll I will come to you if I want to. But I have found, and we've talked about this on the show before, because. You know, the whole smartphone, mobile phone, you know, mobile device, anything that is easy on the go is just not something I need all that often. I mean, sure, if I'm at the dog park, I might look at my phone and just make sure I'm not missing anything, but I don't really go anywhere. So when I'm at home, the phone's always near me, you know, and it's what rings, but then, you know, my laptop rings too on FaceTime. I, I, I'm using my laptop almost exclusively. Even something like TikTok. I look at my For You page on my laptop because I'm like, there's just more area and it's easier to type and all my messages are there anyway. And there are very few things that I can't do on my laptop that I feel like I want to do on a regular basis. And I don't think that that's just, oh, because I, you know, I don't leave the house anymore. I am now just so less used to being on the go, being in transit, for example. You know, someone is standing on the subway for 45 minutes. Yeah, you're going to be looking at your phone. I'm now... I'm so not used to it that now I'm sort of like, eh, eh, I don't look at that. It's just a smaller version of my computer. I I don't do notifications. I very very much limit notifications myself, Uh, but I still use my phone a lot. So I I think what the study is showing is that people 
don't realize when when they're picking up their phone. They're picking it up absent-mindedly. In fact, a few study participants were were kind of shocked when they looked at the video and like, I don't remember doing that. I don't remember picking up the phone. I don't remember why I did it. Uh, and there's been some other studies that show that psychologically, when the phone is in the room with you, even if you're not looking at it, you think about it. It, it reduces your attention level on other things because it's kind of pulling at you. Uh, so this is another another study in the, those planks of what mm. effects phones are having on our mental state. And, and the word addiction gets thrown around a lot, and I'm not sure if it's exactly appropriate or not because it carries a whole lot of clinical meanings uh, that are complex. But there's certainly a pull to having that phone there. It, it, it mm-hmm. and, and this is another study that shows that. France has decided not to wait for a worldwide agreement on tax treatment of tech companies and will proceed unilaterally. Tech companies legally record income in parts of Europe where they have headquarters with lower tax burdens, such as Ireland. France wants to take a cut of that revenue by imposing a 3% tax based on where sales are made rather than where revenue is recorded. French tax authorities have started to send tax bills to collect the new digital services tax. This is... Uh, starting a dispute with the United States. Uh, Mm. Essentially, the United States has been saying, all right, we get your concern, but let's figure this out. And France is saying, we can't wait anymore. Uh, And I don't know exactly why President Macron is saying we can't wait anymore. Obviously, there's uh, a financial crunch on all countries right now. Maybe that's all it is. He's like, we we just need the money. Uh, We can't wait around. It could also be a way to try to push some leverage to get the global deal done faster. We'll see if that's the case or not. Uh, but if you don't understand what's going on, it's a, it's essentially a way to get tax people for what's happening in their country. I mean, that's what Sarah uh, just said. But but to put it in another way, if I operate in France, but I had my headquarters in Ireland, I could take all the money I make from selling things to people in France and transfer it to my Ireland division, and then I'd pay tax under Ireland and say, well, I didn't make any money in France. I transferred it all to Ireland. And that's legal. That's not illegal. That is the way Europe set up the tax code. They're following the law. And I, a lot of people start to treat this as if they're doing something illegal. They're not. They're, they're doing something that is absolutely within the design. And what France is trying to say is, well, let's change the design. I want to put a tax on sales made in my country, whether you transfer the revenue or not. Let's change the law. That's what you should do when you think a law isn't working, right, is change the law. Let's tax the sale in the country. Uh, The problem is the U.S. uh, companies are most likely to be affected by that. So the U.S. has objected and say, hold on, uh, before you just started punishing our companies, let's figure out a way to make this fair for everybody. And, And France agreed to put it off for a while, but I guess their patience ran out. Mm-hmm. It's easy for, I mean, I barely understand our own tax code, so I don't have a lot to add here, but I did want to say this. It's easy for us to want to say, well, there's a big transition coming to the U.S. government this this uh, January, and we're about to get a new president. Do you think that has any effect on when other countries decide to go ahead and pull stuff like this? Not pull stuff like this. Obviously, implement it's, it's taken like into this? consideration, uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what effect they think that will have. Whether they, they want to put some pressure on the Biden incoming Biden administration, uh, whether they think they could get a last minute deal out of the Trump administration, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, that's 
again, very unknowledgeable in this area, but it does feel like every, every time anything happens on a big world stage, I'm like, wow, it's because of this election, you know, but I, I'm sure I'm not right. <laughs> it's always more complex than just that, but you're not wrong that it's part of it. Sure. Uh, let's talk about underwater scooters. The next okay. web, <laughs> yes, uh, the next web has a write-up of the Genino S2 underwater scooter. It's a backpack-sized device with two propellers, so sort of a half quadcopter, except the propellers are one on each side of the main body, and instead of being pointed down like in a quadcopter, they're pointed backwards, so they propel you forward. You hold on to the device with one hand on each of the posts that connect the main body with the propeller. You got the propellers to the right or left of your hand, and then you kind of get propelled through the water. It can keep you going for up to 45 minutes on a charge and cost $399. Now, the S2... Uh, is the more consumer-friendly version of the S1 model. It's also been refined and the battery made more efficient, etc. And it includes a Bluetooth connection for remote control, which I think will make it more family-friendly. If your children are using it, you could make it surface or something. CTO Dr. Wang Shengwei told the Next Web they came up with the idea when someone had taken one of Genino's underwater drones, which was built for exploration, and started tooling around in the water with it. Now, I that's a pretty good idea. Maybe we should make one that does that on purpose. Uh, they originally built the S1 for marine professionals, you know, serious divers doing exploratory work, either for industrial or, or science uses. But they decided to widen the market when they made the S2. So this one is for more recreational uses, still probably diving uses. But the company says they do plan to make another version for the uh, swimming pool use. Uh, so you, if you're just in a, in a big old pool uh, of your own, I assume, not a crowded one, you could tool around in the deep end. I mean, if I had a pool, I would totally do this. Um, it makes pretty good sense. And that price isn't too bad. Like, basically, you're describing a thing as a kid that I would thought would have thought was science fiction we'd never get to be able to do outside of some really expensive scenario out in the middle of the ocean. And what you're telling me is I can have a submarine in my own, in my own pool. I mean, what's not to like about this? I mean, you just go really fast, right? Like, yeah. In the past, it was like, I don't know. I had to be a mermaid or wear like really great fins to be able to go faster than I could swim. And even then it's like, how much faster are you really going? This would be quite a bit faster. I wonder, yeah. I mean, if you're in a small pool, you'd sort of be <laughs> like in circles. But is a pool at where I live now, pretty big pool. I think uh, I think people could have a lot of fun. And you're not going far enough that you can't come up for air every once in a while. You know, the right. whole idea of like being able to go under the water for 45 minutes, well, you need, you need air under mm-hmm. there with you. Unless you're doing some sort of like a hybrid snorkel type thing, which I guess is possible as well. But, but yeah, people are going to have some fun with this. I think there's like a... There's a small piece of all of us who had to, you know, grow up on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday watching Jacques Cousteau, Cousteau do something on TV. <laughs> and we all thought, oh, that guy's cool. We should do this one day. There's just a little taste of that, you know. And if you're somebody who has to have all those kinds of toys, you got a couple ATVs, maybe a jet ski in the garage. What's a extra <laughs> flotation underwater device going to cost? No big deal. There's a technical achievement here, too, that we should note. Uh, they had to really experiment with the power versus efficiency of the battery and the propellers they wanted it to make it fast enough that it was worth doing that you'd be like okay i'm going faster than i can swim on my own uh but not so fast that it ate up the battery in two minutes 
Uh, mm. so, so they, they did a lot of work to kind of balance that out, make the motors efficient, make the propellers efficient. Uh, and so, so they could make this be a backpack sized device. Battery is small enough that you can bring it on a plane. It's, it's like a laptop battery, uh, size battery. So it's not, not huge. Hey, folks, if you want to join in the conversation in our Discord, uh, you could uh, start sharing your tips on underwater scooter use uh, right there. Join by linking to a Patreon account at patreon.com slash DTMS. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Verge's Tom Warren notes that despite the Xbox Series X having more powerful hardware, the PS5 has been outperforming it, particularly in frame rate. This is according to benchmarks from Digital Foundry. In Devil May Cry 5, high frame rate modes above 40 frames per second ran better on PS5. Assassin's Creed Valhalla showed screen tearing and regular dips below 60 frames per second on the Series X. Ran smoother on the PS5. For Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, the Xbox falls behind in 120 frames per second mode, although it does hold at 60 FPS in some scenes, with ray tracing where the PS5 fell to 40 FPS. On Dirt 5, the PS5 showed better texture filtering and little higher average resolution overall, and performance mode dipped below 120 frames per second more often on Xbox. Codemaster promised a fix already for this, with indications this is a software problem and, therefore, a fixable problem. In fact, Digital Foundry editor Richard Ledbetter suspects an API limitation that's on the Xbox side. Microsoft started taking submissions for Series X certification back in June after an update to to its uh, game developers kit, and developers had access to PS5 dev kits a lot earlier than that, so that might factor into this a bit. Microsoft also says it's actively working with its partners to identify and resolve the issues to ensure an optimal experience. Well, uh, as you may uh, wonder or guess, I spent a lot of time thinking about what this might mean. The um, So I ended up getting my hands on an Xbox Series X. Uh, PlayStation 5s have been a little more elusive uh, given less stock availability, but also Xboxes are hard to get to for that matter. Um, and I've had a really impressive experience so far with the Xbox, but I've, uh, the more I've thought about it in light of this news, most of that has been first-party stuff. So really super-enhanced versions of Gears 5, for example. I'm not sure I've seen a better-looking video game in my life. It's unbelievably beautiful, performs really well, but it's first-party. Um, third-party engine, though, in Unreal, which leads me to think this API thing is probably 
indeed the problem. And thankfully, that's that's a thing that you can fix with software. But this is interesting. Microsoft's come into this generation with all guns blazing and a really strong value proposition for players. And it basically said, look, we've all been asking when's Netflix for video games coming. Well, we think we have it now. So come pay us 15 bucks a month, have access to all of this stuff, or even just buy your, your console that way and pay us 25 a month and pay it off over two years and pay no interest. And they've got all these ideas to make the experience a more valuable per dollar sort of experience for players. Whereas Sony's kind of holding the line saying, well, we're going to do what we always do. Lots of good expo- exclusives, but games are going to be 79 bucks, and that's up from the 59 they used to be and this sort of thing, or 69 for for average ones. Anyway, the point is, of all this discussion, Microsoft's had a bunch of wins in a row, and Sony has had limited stock. They've had some problems with some bricked consoles, although, you know, who knows? That always happens. Uh, you're always going to have some trouble at first, but some notable problems they've had with some notable people out there. And so my thinking was, oh, no, this isn't good, looking good for Sony. They're already kind of having a fight against this this new business model that Microsoft's presenting. And now this has flipped a little bit. It's, it's now, you know, we're having to reckon with this idea that the Xbox, which was reportedly more powerful, and it is by the numbers, isn't producing with those same third-party games the way the PlayStation is. So even if you can fix it, the hearts and minds of gamers matter in this very competitive space so i don't know how quickly they can do it or what they should do but microsoft really should get on that and get that fixed asap because this kind of stuff even if it's minor or temporary tends to permeate the gamosphere and before you know it players are picking sides and painting their faces and deciding who's going to kill piggy so you got to be careful yeah if, if people don't realize the xbox series x is capable of 12 teraflops of gpu performance uh and the ps5 does 10.28 teraflops uh so by the numbers the xbox is more powerful uh maybe not that much more powerful it all depends on how it's used and that's the point here uh and i I think scott the fact that you're having a good experience with microsoft's first party games shows that hey those folks inside the company that may have had a little earlier access uh to the dev kits uh, did better than the folks who didn't get it till June and are still trying to work through bugs and issues. That's that's just the way anybody out there in software development knows. That's just the way it works. The more mm-hmm. time you have to quash bugs, uh, the better performance you'll get. Uh, and this really does seem to be a, an API or some kind of software issue, which means it's fixable, which means you know by next summer, we might not even be talking about this. We may have forgotten all about it. Yeah, maybe I, I, even I, sooner. The other, the other thing, too, is... Um, you know, this is this is basically the exact same conversation that many of us were having back in 2005 and six when the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360 were the new consoles in town. And the conversation was flipped. People were having better development and uh, technical experiences on the 360 at the time, especially at launch. This evened out later in the generation. But PlayStation 3, not so much. They had a really difficult to program for custom chip architecture. There were other factors at play. But some of the same results, you get the exact same third-party game, and it just ran better on the 360, despite the fact that Sony's claims and, and actual technical specs looked like it should run better over there. But it just didn't. And some of that stuff just had to be worked out over time. This might even be faster, because we're just talking about custom PCs here, basically, the architecture. So uh, I, I I think it will be sooner than later that this sort of thing gets figured out. But uh, what a what a 
crazy. It's, I love this part of, of the video game industry. I love talking about it. And I, and I hope people don't get too up in arms about their Coke versus Pepsi kind of arguments because it's actually more fun to see how these companies respond, how they choose to compete, how they choose to answer one another's you know, successes and failures. And this is a chance for Microsoft to say, hey, look, we're on it. We'll fix it. We're good to go. Well, a side note, we mentioned yesterday that it might be hard for Scott to get that PS5 because <laughs> they're out of stock. Uh, the official PlayStation account tweeted today, though, or Wednesday rather, well, that is today, the more more PS5 inventory will be coming to retailers before the end of the year. Please stay in touch with your local retailers. So yeah. the holidays may be saved after all. It's Wednesday for us. We don't know what it is for you. Could be That's anything. true. Yeah. yeah. Could be next Wednesday. Don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, security researchers Montas Sosnaskas, James Klee, and Roni Carta, working with CyberNews.com, discovered a backdoor vulnerability in routers under the brand Jetstream, which is sold by Walmart, and Wavelink, sold on Amazon and eBay. Windstar's technology makes these routers. The backdoor can be accessed remotely. It's not a physical access uh, backdoor. This is one uh, that they can get to from the internet and you don't want to keep your router off the internet or else why have a router? Uh, so this appears to be actively exploited as well. This is not a theoretical vulnerability. It's being exploited by the Mirai botnet. Who knows what else? And there does not appear to be a firmware fix in the works for it. So if you have a Jetstream or Wavelink router, or you might want to check and see if any router that you have is made by Windstar's technology, don't use it. Take it off the internet right now because uh, there's no way to safely use it at the moment. Well, this is one of those things where sometimes the cheap model isn't the right model. I hate yes. to say that because, you know, I don't want to say the that. Oh, you get what you pay for uh, situation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And routers, we think of them as just like, well, it's like getting a fridge. It'll just work. Plug in the fridge. It'll freeze. The, it'll make things cold. <laughs> and you're right. But sometimes you realize, oh, wait, there is a there's a hierarchy of quality here. And we've. We've gotten on the ground floor, in this case, a very insecure floor, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, uh, and, and your head could go to all kinds of places of like, oh, was this done on purpose? Do they know about it? Uh, sure, maybe. I don't know. More likely, it's just incompetence. It's, it's just a company that's trying to sell things really cheap uh, to make money, and therefore they don't spend money developing their product. Uh, and that means they end up not having a good firmware pushing system and not having a good software bug squashing uh so just be careful when you're buying cheap stuff we're headed into one of the biggest shopping days in the united states here uh in a couple of days and you're going to see a lot of deals make sure you're buying reliable things especially when you're buying electronics spread the word well, how about this one? A bit of a head-scratcher. On Tuesday, the Utah Department of Public Safety published a photo of a 10- to 12-foot steel object found on November 18th in an inaccessible canyon in the Utah desert. The department found no obvious indication of how it got there. The location is also so remote it hasn't been published for fear that someone would get stranded and need to be rescued if they went out there and tried to find it because there's nothing out there. However, Reddit user Tim Slane found satellite images on Google Earth of something in the middle of a small redstone canyon that was casting a tall, narrow shadow. The object is visible in Google Earth photos starting in October 2016, so may have been there for the last four years or so. Slane says he used cross-referencing skills he uh, developed by playing the game GeoGuessr. Yeah, GeoGuessr uh, was the part that, that really hooked me with the story. 
story. I, I mean, yes, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey references uh, also hooked me, but I love that, that uh, first of all, Never tell anyone you can't find something by not publishing the address because Reddit and Google Earth exist and somebody like Tim <laughs> Slane is going to is going to find it. Uh, and, and there's a game that he plays called GeoGuessr that trains you to find things based on just what you could see on the photo. Like he's been training his well, not his whole life, but he's been training for a while for this very moment. Yeah. Uh, as someone who's having this happen in his backyard, well, my state's backyard. It's been a real treat just to be involved <laughs> and be here and have everybody be excited about a thing that's so weird. And um, I love it. Uh, but don't go down there looking for it. Yeah, I've, do I've been in that place. I've been in that area. And it's awesome. And nature is like a overpowering thing there. And you will get lost and have to eat your own foot. So don't go. <laughs> right. I. I found the uh, the yesterday in particular. You know, this was it was crossing all of my you know all my feeds, all my circles. Were like, what do you think it is? And I was like, okay, you know, call me naive. I haven't been to this particular part of Utah, but if folks going over in a low lying helicopter were able to see it, then someone could have gone over in a helicopter in order to drop it in the past. I mean, right? you think it doesn't have to be an alien. You think someone would see a helicopter carrying a big monolith <laughs> flying out in the desert, but maybe not. And, maybe and you're not. right. If, if, if you can get there somehow to see it, there obviously has to be a way to get there uh, and, and put it there. Even if they drove a, an altering vehicle out there and just covered up their tracks. I mean, uh, it's very mm-hmm. clear from the photos Slane found that in August, 2015, there were scrub brush there and in October 2016, that brush has all been cleared. So, yeah, somebody was out there and cleared the brush and set up the monolith and, and took off. And you're in the middle of nowhere. So it's easy. Can you imagine, honest. you know, so October 2016, you're like, all right, we did it. Let's see. And the years keep going by. And it's like, no one's going to notice it. Yeah. No one's ever going to notice it. And then yeah. finally, you know, someone's like, wait a second. What's this big metal thing doing out here? Yeah. The long con on this thing is strong. And uh, I have to I, I mass respect for whoever pulled it off. But yeah, it'll be it's one of those things that unless somebody comes forward and says, yeah, that was me. We'll still be talking about it around here anyway for the oh, next I, couple I, of years. I highly suspect that that the person or persons and it probably took more than one that did this uh, enjoyed that it hadn't been found. They they might mm-hmm. even be disappointed. There might have been like the secret pleasure was like we put this thing out there and nobody knows still. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe they had bets about how long it would take. And right, right. Someone lost. Yeah. Well, uh, we haven't lost because we get your emails and we read them on the show right now. <laughs> we do. We do. This one comes from Kevin. Kevin says we've been we've been talking about kind of you know smart home life hacks uh, all week. Kevin said I used to have issues with my echo being too loud at night and then too quiet in the morning. My solution was to make it part of a routine. So at night I say it's time to relax. This triggers a few smart lights to turn off, but it also turns the volume down on my living room echo dot to two. Then in the morning, when I say good morning, it turns the volume back up to four. It might not be the best solution, but it's worked for me. Hope you all have a great Thanksgiving. Oh, oh. that's that's clever. I uh, I think I kind of knew you could do this, uh, but maybe I'm just lazy. I don't know. I didn't. I did not I know that either. I could I could set volume as part of a routine because that actually helps me a lot. Oh, big time. I'll total. I'm doing this today. This is fantastic to learn. It makes sense that it, I mean, it seems like basic functionality. Now that I think about it, but I, I didn't know it did that. Yeah. 
That's yeah, good great. stuff. Uh, keep yeah. them coming, everybody. If you've got, got a life hack for us or a question or a comment or something on your mind, anything, send it to feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. And thanks to everybody who sends us emails on the regular. Also, shout out to patrons at our master and grandmaster levels, including Paul Thiessen, Kevin, and Paul Boyer today. Thanks to Scott Johnson for being with us. We missed you, Scott, last week. Hope you had a nice vacation. What's going on in your world? Well, I was down in the south part of the state, not oh, really? very far from where the monolith oh, came Oh, interesting. Up. That's yeah. convenient. Yeah, that was weird. And Veronica Belmont was there the week before, so I'm oh, not really? saying we were doing anything. Yeah. I'm just saying, you know. Interesting. Just yeah. get that conspiracy out of your heads now. But anyway, uh, I, was, I did miss you guys. I, I, that was one part I did not like about my Wednesday away, so it's great to be back. Uh, for now, though, I'd like to just point people to my comic strip I do every week called Fred and Can. It's about a guy named Fred lives with a sentient can of expired cream corn. And they're talking about Thanksgiving, the last couple of issues. I just put one up yesterday, and I think people will like it and enjoy it. And truly, it is a great example of their relationship. So check it out, fredandcan.com. And if you're trying to poke me in public, you can find me over it uh, on Twitter, at Scott Johnson. Hey, patrons, uh, it's that time of year. We're going to be sending out a holiday card again. Uh, so you want to make sure you have your mailing address available for us to be able to see. You give us permission to send you a thing, and then we'll send you a holiday card. So make sure you get in there and do that. Uh, there's also all kinds of other benefits to being a patron. Ad-free RSS feed. Uh, it can have just DTNS or just Good Day Internet or both. Check your tier on Patreon to see if it says DTNS, GDI, or all. And if you want to change, just change tiers at dailytechnewsshow.com slash Patreon. We are live Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. That's 21.30 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. That said, we are off Thursday and Friday for the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. So we'll see you all back here on Monday. Have a good one. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this broker. <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.